Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 77. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, we have a special episode for you today. As a devoted book lover, I can't begin to count how many times I've dreamed about opening up my very own bookstore. Well, today's guest is Allison Frenzel, a reader in Waco, Texas, who is actually in the process of bringing her bookish business idea to life. If you have ever dreamed of opening your own bookstore, you're about to learn exactly how another reader is making that dream come true. Allison and I discuss her nostalgic reading habits, what her favorite titles have in common, and how she thinks about books like she thinks about chocolate cake. We also talk about the book business, including some solid business advice for Kathleen Kelly. Let's get to it. Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm thrilled to be here. So I think if our listeners know you, it's probably from seeing Readerly on Instagram. Yes. Allison, where did the name Readerly come from? Did you think it just sounded cute? Which it totally does. Or is there a story behind it? <laughs> I wish there was a story, a better story than it really, I thought it sounded cute. But in my mind, I kind of think the the best job would be being a professional reader. And, um, and so I, as much as I love books and that is not my full-time job, but, um, I kind of was in some ways a aspiration to be readerly, to always be looking for good books and good literary lessons. How do you decide what kind of products to feature in the shop? Because I'm looking at it now and we have quotes Mm -hmm. like, I am simply a book drunkard. And if you, if I loved you less, I would be able to talk about it more from Emma and (laughs) the ones for kids are adorable. Yes. Well, it's funny enough, it's more complicated than just hearing a quote that I love because there are so many quotes that I love, but, um, of course there's copyright issues and I know that there may be some people that just go ahead and print them, but I get, I, maybe I have a fear of being sued. So I try to pick things that under, under, that are under creative commons or that are a little obscure where maybe you have enjoyed the book, but, um, the quote just speaks to you that one by Emma just always, kind of undoes me. I just love it so much. And then the one about the book drunkard, I love it because the, uh, the person who wrote that is Ellen Montgomery who wrote Anne of Green Gables. So you don't often put those two together, being a book drunkard and writing Anne of Green Gables. That's a favorite line. Okay. If I had to guess, this is not my business, but if I had to guess, I would say that your bestseller is the adorable reading is my favorite t-shirt. Yes, you would be correct. And honestly, as much as I think I know what will sell, it is a lot of times not right. And that was more of just a, oh, here's a you know great idea to put this on a shirt. And um, my daughter um, loves saying that. And so I put it on my shirt and it is always the bestseller. I mean, sometimes it sells out within days and I'm <laughs> ordering more. And I'm probably too conservative on the amount of t-shirts that I order. My t-shirt guy is always like, are you sure? Because, you know, you call back, you know, two times in the last month to reorder this shirt. Like maybe you could order some more. Um, but I'm always just conservative on my numbers. So I'm like, maybe, well, maybe just, you know, this much this time and we'll see how it goes. But yes, it literally flies off the rack. I think it says good things about the world we read in. Oh, whoops. 
we live in that it does. <laughs> and we do read in it a lot. Yes. Allison, I am also someone who was way more online with a blog, first of all, than I ever mm -hmm. had any. It's only in the past year that we've had any physical products for Modern Mrs. Darcy or What Should I Read Next? And um, prior to that, I did some in-person like speaking at conferences, but not that much. But readers seem to really love, and maybe this is people seem to really love, something tactile, something you can hold, something you can touch, mm -hmm. something you can wear. What, what have you observed? So I have um, another friend who has a um, online shop and she often sells in person and she will tell you that her t-shirts sell better in person than um, online. And I've had the opposite of problem, but I really think it's the reading industry. If that is an industry, like if there is a huge presence on Instagram called bookstagram, and it's people who are posting beautiful photos of their books or book products. And, um, I've really, I've loved being involved in, um, bookstagram. Um, I just think it's such an encouraging industry. And I feel like people who read, they want to connect with other people that read. So it's bookish enthusiasm just spilling over. Into I think that's what life. it is. Yeah. Okay. Since we're talking about physical tactile things, yes, let's talk about the email you sent me that made me so happy for the state of the world and for you personally, which was that you are opening a bookstore where readers can take their bookish enthusiasm into a building that is filled with books and t-shirts that say reading is my favorite and yes. other tactile things. Can you tell us, and this is a big question, so mm -hmm. attack whatever part of it you want to. Can you tell us when that dream started, when it started to become real and what, what that path has looked like so far and when we yeah. can come visit you in person? There you go. Um, well, it started, I feel like as any bookstore owner may start with watching You've Got Mail <laughs> and falling in love with the shop around the corner. And this kind of connects to when um, I had my blog, I wrote a long, exhaustive post um, on the shop around the corner and how I think she could have kept it open and how it would have stayed open today. Um, it was, I mean, I guess I say like exhaustive, maybe, maybe people would call it a rant, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it's just been something being in marketing and, um, this return to shop local. I just feel like we're in a different time now. And I connected with, um, my business partner, Kimberly. Wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Okay. You got to tell us more about that. What, what's well, the like three point business plan? For Kathleen Kelly. Oh, well, well, first of all, I felt like, and she didn't live in the era of social media, but social media would have been her first place to go and just building her tribe, which she already had of people who were at her store of offering more community events, um, making it more personal. Um, she could have done like, um, like you do, like where personalized book selections, um, and, there, the nostalgia of reading is already there in her shop. So she doesn't have to develop that. And that's to me what readers want. They want to return back to when they first fell in love with books when they were a kid and Fox books doesn't have that as many possibly large bookstores today don't have that. So do you think personalized book recommendations and the nostalgia element were still heavily at play in 1996? Well, I guess they, they were best Betsy and Tacey. I mean, you know, she's waxing poetic about Tib, right. whose real name is Thelma. Yes. I, I don't know about 
the nineties being that I don't think that we, um, with the, I feel like this could be such a larger conversation about (laughs) how the online world is like made us more isolated and we seek community differently and how like authentic organic community is really, it's like a treasure now. And the nineties, I don't think we knew that and we didn't really suffer the loss of it. But, um, I think that there's something about having people that you trust give you book recommendations that, um, a store can't do for you. That is just a store or someone, if you don't know that bookseller and that, that's something that, um, I think that I have always wanted to have and I've hopefully our bookstore will have. Okay. All right. Thank you. That is very interesting. Is that blog post still alive and well somewhere on the No, internet? it is not. It is not. I've thought about bringing it back though. <laughs> Maybe you can put a little pamphlet at the, at the front yes. desk of your shop. At there the checkout. You go. It's called the checkout at the checkout of your shop. Right. Okay. So when did this dream start to become a, you know what, we might actually maybe be able to make that happen. Yes. Well, I got connected to my business partner, Kimberly. She owns a local coffee shop and um, ice cream shop here in town. And we kind of had a friend of a friend that mentioned to me um, when I was, you know, saying, what we need is a bookshop here in town and this is how it needs to happen and, you know, usual rant. But he said, um, you know, you need to talk to um, Kimberly. And I sent her an email. Really, there were no strings attached. I really was wanting to connect with her and we might sit down and say, yay books. And that's it. Um, but when we sat down and it really, I feel like every kind of big project or big idea begins with like, it was just a conversation at first. And then now we're here where we have a whole business plan, uh, investor pro forma. Um, we found what our market opportunities are in Waco, which is where I'm located. Um, so it started small and then it just kind of really grew. Where are you now in the process? We are now we are talking to investors and we have developed a pitch presentation. So much that you might see like a tech startup do. Um, we wanted to make sure, especially in the industry of bookstores, because I feel like everyone who is maybe not familiar in it has a little bit of that reflex of, um, oh, it'll never work, you know, and oh, it's something of the past and Oh, what about borders that closed all their bookstores? And so to us, it was really important to show our investors and people that support us that we're going in with eyes wide open. We know our challenges and we also think we know how it can work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Help a Kentucky girl out. How far is Waco from Dallas? It's only about hour and a half. Okay. So we're pretty central. What I've heard from both What Should I Read Next listeners and the bookstore owners who've been on the show is that readers will drive to visit a destination bookstore. And a destination bookstore, really what I meant to say was bookstore. Readers will drive to visit a bookstore. Yes. And I really, I think that has to do with the way, um, the vision behind the bookstore. Um, one of our things that we really want our bookstore to be, and it's called Fabled, Fabled Bookstore and Cafe. Where'd it come from? Um, Um, you know, it just, we, I can tell you that naming a bookstore is, was probably one of the hardest thing that we did in our whole process, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, fabled came from, you know, of course the definition being, um, a famous, um, well-known and fable also kind of spoke to the, um, element of a tall tale, which 
in Texas, we have lots of those. <laughs> um, so that, and it kind of rolled off the tongue for us. So we really, really liked it. Felt like it brought what we really um, have a goal for, for our customers is being nostalgic. And which if you're a parent that, and you're introducing your child to a book you loved, I mean, that's the kind of feeling we're looking for where you walk in a store, you can point out a book and say, Oh, I love this. Or this is so good. Or I just finished this. And also the feeling of that, the there's possibilities. There is the element of discovery where you see the books you already love, which means you can trust the bookstore owner to give you recommendations and to have other good books to read. Okay. So right now you're gathering investors. What else mm -hmm. comes between the money, which seems kind of important and yes. the opening? Right. They, um, well, we're also doing coffee and we also want to have an event space in the back that you could rent out for, um, parties or baby showers or, um, author readings. Um, and so a lot of that is kind of, um, figuring out, everything we need to do for, for the city, figuring out plumbing, um, for the coffee shop. Um, one of the most important things in the book selling industry is lighting. And that was something that kind of blew our minds. What? It makes sense. It, it totally does makes make sense. sense. But to me, I guess I, I don't know. I, it's something I overlooked, but it's one of those elements that is so important that you don't even notice it. And Un unless it's terrible. Yeah. Unless it's terrible. And then you leave. And so <laughs> Once we figured that out, I was went to our local Barnes and Noble and was literally counting the lights like per square foot just to be like, yeah, there is lots of lighting in here. We're going to need lots of lighting. So those those little details um, and then just figuring out how many bookcases we need, um, you know, the fact that we want to put many of them on wheels, all those little details um, that can make a space feel comfortable and make you want to stay a while. Okay. I think you mentioned that your city doesn't have a bookstore yet, but does Waco really not have a bookstore yet? We have a Barnes and Noble and we have a few small, um, independent used bookstores, uh -huh. but for our plan, we want to do new books and sideline other sidelines. And then, um, maybe like a bookshelf of used classics. Um, there's not really a bookstore that is community driven. So what is special about the in-person experience of buying a book? Do you think? Well, I, kind of noticed this myself, but, um, when we were kind of brainstorming, I was saying, you know, no, in no other type of store, do I approach a stranger and talk about whatever product they're holding in their hands? I mean, if we go into, you know, a clothing boutique, I'm never going to go up to a stranger and say, I love that red of that shirt. That's my favorite color red. I mean, that would be odd and weird, <laughs> but when you see someone pick up your favorite book, it's, something compels you, which I'm an extrovert. So maybe this is more <laughs> my personality than others, but it's, it compels me to go over that to them and say, I love that book. Oh, you have to buy it. Please buy it. And it was, you know, a great book. And so to me, and this also comes from being extroverted reader is I love to connect with people who love books. Reading is such an isolating thing. It's something you experience on your own. But when you meet someone that has read the same book as you have, you have that connection. You experience the same kind of, you know, journey together. I will say that I'm an introvert and I have totally done that to people in the bookstore as well. That's and I also love to connect with people over books. Yes. So maybe that doesn't mean that it's true for everyone everywhere, but it's not just an extroverted thing. Right. I feel like it's a special, it's a special element of the industry for sure. Have you devoted much thought to what 
actual books you're going to put in your store? Our, the size of our bookstore, in, it would be in the industry, it's considered a mid-size. So we are hoping to have about 4,500 square feet and then maybe 3,600 square feet of selling space within that. And how many titles um, does that translate to? We're still figuring that out. I think <laughs> it might translate to like twenty to 30,000 books. Oh, wow. That's which, a lot of books. Uh, yeah. And the initial order of that, I cannot imagine like how overwhelming that's going to be. Um, a lot of wholesalers have, or actually I know one, not a lot. Wholesale have a, a program where you can literally say, I'm opening a bookstore. This is how much square you know, feed I have. And then they will order for you based on what they think will sell. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of adjust that. When we um, have talked to so many people in this industry, which if you're thinking about doing this, I would recommend that just talk to anyone. We have talked to big bookstore owners, little bookstore owners. They have all given us pieces of information that we're like, okay, we need to consider this. And what one thing that we're hearing over and over is that after yourselves, like as employees, the most important person that you hire is your book buyer. And that is the person that knows your community, knows what they want to read and will buy, you know, with those considerations. Interesting. Yeah. For now, it's supposed to be me, which is incredibly intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. So, um, so learning what my community likes to read and um, buying that, which, you know, it's hard because there may be a book that I despise and then, you know, but it flies off the shelves. So what are you going to do? That's what you do for the cause. That's right. When are you all looking to open? We're hoping to open this fall. And that's, of course, if all the money comes in. Um, And if it doesn't happen this fall, then we're looking for spring of next year. But not like December? Probably not. I can't really imagine a more chaotic time (laughs) to open. Although holiday sales would be great for us. I'm sure it'd be really encouraging as people buy books for their um, loved ones for Christmas. But most likely spring. Allison, that is so interesting. I think I could really talk to you about this all day. For those who want to stay updated on the journey to opening the doors of Fabled Bookshop, how can they do that? Yes. Well, that, you know, when we were developing everything, um, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking like, I've never read of anyone experiencing this before of opening a bookstore. And I wonder if it'd be interesting for people to follow along. So if you go to our website, fabledbookshop.com, and you sign up for our email list, we are emailing updates. And even the first email that you get automatically back from us will give you um, kind of a rundown of everything we've done this far. Okay. That sounds great. Thank you. Allison, what does... Being on the road to opening a bookstore due to your reading life? That is a really good question. I will tell you that when we've met with people, and the people that we've met with include um, the owner of Book People in Austin, which is an enormous bookstore. They bring in celebrities to do book readings all the time. We've met with someone from Politics and Prose in Washington, D.C., which is another huge bookstore, and then small, small ones in Dallas. When people are telling us, your most important employee is the book buyer. I think to me, I am like, I just, I need to be reading everything. (laughs) And of course that's not possible because, you know, I don't have all the time in the world, but for me, I, I think I feel accountable to be on top of reading, you know, the, the most, um, controversial books out there, the ones that everyone's picking up. Um, but also maybe the ones I've missed too, that, that are good ones. 
So and basically overwhelming feeling I, that I need to read all the time. <laughs> how much are you actually reading these days? Because I can um, see how opening a bookshop might actually cut into the hours you're able to devote to actually reading absolutely. books. I track my reading on Goodreads and every year I try to do 50 books. But um, one thing that I would change about my reading life is to read more and figuring out and maybe to read faster. So I don't, I don't know if you have any recommendations for that, but I um, am constantly like, am I to read? I have a to read shelf, not a pile. Mm -hmm. It's an entire shelf mm -hmm. in my bedroom. And um, so I, I just want to be able to consume books in a way that feels I'm, that I'm still experiencing it, not just like binging them. I, I honestly keep thinking about it like dessert. Like you want to be able to experience good chocolate cake and not just scarf it down and, and wait for the next. Um, so kind of figuring out that balance of being able to read fast, but also being able to enjoy my books and not feeling like it's a job. I hear you. And no, I don't have any hot tips. I don't have any time turners or magic wands, or I'm not really a fan of speed reading. So yes. Yeah. Everybody, everybody kind of has their pace like running, you know, mm -hmm. it's everyone has their pace. I'm, I'm looking to increase my pace for sure. Yeah. I hear practice helps and it sounds like you're doing it. Yes. Okay. Allison, I am dying to hear these titles that are actually on your shelf. So you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you're reading lately, and we'll talk about what you should read next. Okay. Are you ready to talk I'm about excited. your favorites? Yes. So my first favorite is The Distant Hours by Kate Morton. And full disclaimer here, I am a Kate Morton fangirl. There was, I think she did a signing in Houston a year ago and I had a, a, a conflict, but part of me was like, maybe it's, maybe it's best that I don't embarrass myself in front of her. <laughs> because I think she's so talented and she writes the kind of books I love. And, um, there's something that feels like very fairy tale about them. Um, but they're also, um, kind of Gothic too. The distant hours I would say is probably the darker of, of hers that she's written. And I've read, of course, all of them. Mm -hmm. But um, for anyone who hasn't read it, um, it's about a girl named Edie who owns a publishing company. And her mother receives a letter. And this is set in present day, which I always think it's interesting that Kate Morton, she says she always sets her present day books in the 90s before the internet. Because um, many of like the things that, you know, people are trying to solve could really be solved on the internet. But the fact that the book is about them searching for the answer is, you know, so fun. You know, so, I've read all her stuff and I hadn't noticed that. Well, that's because you don't, are not a fangirl like me. <laughs> Who can I really like her interview. Oh, she's amazing. I mean, she's, she's, you know, beautiful, poised and, um, just is such a seller writer. I really enjoy her. But um, her, Edie's mother receives a letter that's been postmarked in the 1940s, and it's present day, the 1990s. And something about the letter upsets her mother, and Edie kind of sets on a mission to figure out what happened. And it involves her going to a castle, um, meeting um, these elderly twins who knew her mother then, um, and her mother actually stayed at the castle during the war. But it's just really amazing. The funny story about after I read this book, I was just so blown away just for days. My husband was out of town um, on a mission trip and he came back and just exhausted. And of course, he himself was full of stories to tell me. But I was like, I know that you did so many amazing things, but I need to tell you about this book. <laughs> 
And I mean, he's exhausted, barely can keep his eyes open after traveling to a third world country. And I just had to tell him the whole story. That's a good sign. Yes. And you can't stop yourself from talking about it. That's right. Allison, what's book two? Book two is The Sea of Tranquility by Katya Malay. Mm -hmm. And this is a young adult book. And I'm really finicky about young adult books, but I feel like this young adult book is just so convincing of that teenage era. It's about a girl um, named Nastya. I think that's how you say her name. Um, but she moves to a new town. Um, she's really, um, you can tell that something, she's gone through something terrible. She dresses really provocatively. She's mute. So she doesn't speak at all to anyone, but she feels really connected to this boy named Josh who's gone through his own tragedy. And the whole time I was reading this book, I kept thinking like, oh, this is a really fun book. I'm going to give it four stars on Goodreads. I'm always thinking like, what, what how many stars? I'm going to give this four stars. But I feel like the last page, I was like, oh, wait, you earned yourself another star. So it's five stars. I don't me. remember the last page. I, I have read this. I really like this book. But it's been maybe like three years because I can like picture myself reading it. I know where I read this yeah. book and I think it was three years ago. And I, oh, I do not remember. Okay. Don't tell me because yeah, will, oh, if anybody sounds interested, we both want you to go read this book. Yes. But only if it sounds up your alley. So tell us more. Right. So ho hopefully that would give someone an incentive to want to read it. Yeah. I think that this book was just so authentic in the teenage struggle where as a teen, you really feel like you can, um, that you're dealing with complex issues, but you don't have the independence to, or like, you know, freedom of money to solve them. And I felt like this kind of dealt with that. Well, um, I, I really feel like young adult is, has to be really difficult to write because, um, you have to know those, that age group and to them, which I remember being 16 and feeling like I had everything figured out, but dealing with big issues in my life. Um, and so writing it, I feel like the author really writes it in a, um, convincing way and, um, gives respect to that age group too. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I hear you. Okay. Allison, what's book three? So book three in the spirit of bookstores is Mr. Penumbra's 24 hour bookstore. Totally in the spirit of bookstores. Yes. Okay, tell us more. Um, this bookstore, it is set in um, San Francisco. Clay, the main character, he's like a website guru. He decides to take a job at a 24-hour bookstore. He has the night shift. And there's something about this bookstore that, to him, he's thinking, of course, like, how is this bookstore still open? Nobody's coming in here. Um, and most of the customers kind of come in at weird hours. It's always the same people. They're, they're really, their behavior's odd. They're always looking for very obscure books. Um, I, what I loved about this book, I just felt like it was so surprising and imaginative, where it connected all of these things that I love, which was technology, bookstores, um, book, like old books, history, um, I, I just had never read anything, you know, that combined all of those. And, um, it almost reminded me, have you ever seen Midnight in Paris? By, yes, oh, I have. I, I really like that movie. I adore that movie. It almost felt like that to me where it was like the return of the past, um, in a way, but it just, it just, I felt like I was really surprised at every direction it took, which I love being surprised in books. I do not love being surprised in real life <laughs> at all. Even Christmas gifts, I'm like, just go ahead and let me pick those out myself. But this book, it just, every, every turn, I was constantly surprised. Allison, tell us about a book that didn't work for you. 
Well, it's really difficult naming any book that I don't like because I have a fond spot in my heart for anyone that publishes a book. But I did not enjoy Commonwealth by Anne Patchett, which I feel terrible saying that because she's also a bookstore owner, Parnassus in Nashville. But it was just not my favorite. We read it recently in my books, my uh, book club. The things I didn't like about it were, and the story really begins when two people have an unexpected kiss at a party. And um, it continues on into their children and um, how the generation was affected by this one act. And to me, the story was, I felt like I was just kind of observing behavior rather than kind of being taken on an epic, which I love multi-generational stories, but it just felt like um, there was not a lot of redemption in the story to me. And um, I, I love that in books because I feel like sometimes life doesn't have a lot of redemption. So reading the book to me just did not give me hope. And um, I felt like the as a reader, I was just more of an observer rather than kind of journeying along. I hear you. I think a lot of people who really like either Patchett's work or Patchett's style of writing have had a hard time connecting with that one, not because they didn't think like objectively this is well written, but because there wasn't anybody that they really wanted to root for or that they felt sympathy for. And she doesn't write like fluffy, lighthearted books, but this one is a little darker than her past few. And yeah, I can see that. Right. You know, I was glad I read it. And as I had time to like, let it sink in and think about it, I was like, you know what, that, that was interesting. There was a character that I did that I was hoping good things for. And that helped me a lot, but not everybody felt that way about this particular character, but Mm -hmm. That's a long-winded way of saying, I hear what you're saying. And as we go to make recommendations for you, like a lot of readers, you are in very good company. Like you want, you want characters that you can find some entry point with, some sympathy Mm -hmm. and not just look on as a distant observer. Is that right? Yes. At their, at their bad behavior. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What are you reading right now, Allison? I literally just finished The Woman in Cabin 10. Uh Uh-huh. And? Which was... It was pretty good. It was good. I feel like in my mind, I kept thinking like, this will make a great movie. Um, It felt a lot like The Girl on the Train. Oh, I could totally see that. I haven't seen The Girl on the Train movie, but I get what you're saying and it could totally be a movie. Yes. It's a page turner. And I might might recommend it to somebody who needs a good book like for a vacation that they want to just kind of be all immersed in. Because once you pick up that book, you got to see it through the end for sure. I read it by the pool last summer. It was a good beach bag read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There you go. Okay. Now, Allison, since you really do want to get through as many books as humanly possible so that you know all the things about all the titles before you open this bookstore and can advise people who walk through the door looking for something to read, I see a lot of directions we could go with your recommendations, but are there certain genres you're prioritizing or authors you want to try? Do you have a system for filling in? Filling in the gap sounds like you're a delinquent student, and I don't mean it like that at all, but help me pick titles that will really be what (laughs) I don't want to like, I don't like to tap into the maximizer aspect of reading because that feels Mm -hmm. very transactional to me, which isn't really a place a lot of readers want to go, but help me, help me find titles that will really help you as both a reader and a bookstore owner. What are you looking for? I think I enjoy any kind of genre that involves like a transformative journey where the character is changed. I love good character development. 
And I think maybe it's because, um, I am an extrovert and I'm really, I'm really observant about people. Um, and so I often, one of the biggest complaints I have about a book is that the characters weren't convincing. And when an author writes well in good, with good character development, I'm just, I'm like putty in their hands. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I am. And then also if an author writes with a direction that again, surprises me, that I love that too. And so, I mean, personally, I would say, give me all the Gothic romantic books that you have, but that's not going to do anybody good. If that's all that we fill our bookstore with, it might do me good, but, um, but I'm, I'm open to other, other genres, of course. Um, you know, as long as the characters are really written in a convincing way. Okay. I love that you pick three titles. I'm quite fond of myself. Not that that's essential to talk books with any reader, as a fellow reader or as a bookstore owner, but it is kind of fun. Yeah. And I see a lot in common here in your picks. No surprise. So you're- Oh, I'm interested to hear that. Cause I looked at them and I was like, I kind of felt like, Oh, this will really, this will get her. <laughs> Cause I don't see commonalities myself. I felt like I'm like, what is she going to do? I can't wait for the magic. All right. Well, I think they all have kind of a fairy tale quality, even the Sea of Tranquility, which is modern fiction. Right. But that is probably true. It You're has right, they a do. dramatic situation, girl in, discre- in distress. Um, mm-hmm. You have the white knight who's been through a battle of his own. That sounds so cheesy cliche, but then again, we are no, talking I about think a YA it's novel. Correct. And I, I mean, they all really do have a fairy tale quality. That's so true. They all have a very dark feel to them. There's like, there's a lot of opacity between the reader and figuring out what is going on here in all situations. And you've got mysteries in each one that you, that you want to unravel. And the distant Mm -hmm. hours is the only one. I mean, Kate Morton is sometimes shelved mystery. And I get that. Mm -hmm. The other two wouldn't be. But there is definitely a puzzle there for the reader that you're trying to solve the whole book. Right. That's so true. Okay. So we're going to look for something with a little bit of a mystery element, maybe. Um, What we know is mystery isn't a bad thing. Dark Mm -hmm. and brooding is not a bad thing. We want characters you can empathize with and something that will keep you turning the pages. Yes. Okay. Perfect. All right. Tell me if you've read what I have in mind for book one. It's The Mad Woman Upstairs by Catherine Lowell. I have not heard of this book. Oh, fantastic. Okay. This is one of those literary mysteries. Um, That's what you have for Mr. Penumbra. That's pretty much what you have with The Distant Hours. And what I mean is those kind of books that feel like a scavenger hunt where the characters are often racing across a city or sometimes across like Europe or America, trying to put together the pieces of a puzzle to unravel what is often like some secret from the distant past that suddenly become like super time sensitive, crucial, important yes. right now. <laughs> I personally really love this genre and I'm thinking, um, you do too, because Mr. Yes. Penumbra is all in for that. In the distant hours, I, I think you could totally call that a literary mystery. Although she yes. Kate Morton with like 500 page books, you can always wedge in a couple more, you know, serious plot threads. Right. Okay. So this one, it came out last spring. Um, imagine a campus novel and also part literary treasure hunt. And it definitely has that Gothic feel because it is about the Brontes. 
Oh, okay. So our heroine is an Oxford student. Her name is Samantha, and she is the last surviving member of the long line of literary Brontes. And then, of course, something mysterious happens and sets the ball in motion and pushes her off on this kind of scavenger hunt to unravel the mysteries of the Bronte family. And there I mean the literary Brontes, you know, Charlotte and Emily. But also unraveling the mystery of Samantha's own family, like the actual real-time people she grew up with. And she's very um, quick-witted, a little snarky, kind of cantankerous. And anyone who loves learning the story behind the story, and in this case, that's the story of the literary Brontes from a couple hundred years ago, this is right up that alley. Um, Have you read Possession by A.S. Byatt? No, I haven't. Okay. Totally reminded me of that. If you want to work your way backwards instead of, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, it totally reminded me of that. And it also really reminded me of any Charlie Lovett novel. If you haven't read uh, anything by him, like um, First Impressions or The Bookman's Tale, and he has a new one out called... I have The Bookman's Tale. I haven't picked it up yet. Awesome. So same kind of literary mystery. If you like one and want to read more of that genre, go for it. That's awesome. If you are looking to revisit the classics in preparation for talking to readers, this will absolutely make you want to revisit Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights, and especially one I haven't read, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, which plays a big role in this book. How does that okay, sound? Great. That sounds great. I'm excited. Okay. I like it. I like it for you. I'm curious to hear what you think. Okay. Book two. Have you read any Nicola Yoon? What would the titles be of Everything, Everything was her debut, which from where I sat kind of looks like it came out of nowhere and sold really, really well. And then she had a book come out this past fall called The Sun is Also a Star that got a lot of Oh, I've been wanting to read. I knew like when you said Everything, Everything, I can remember the book, that book in my head, Mm -hmm. the cover. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have been um, wanting to read The Sun is Also a Star and kind of been on my library's waiting list forever. Okay. I'm glad to hear it because I think this could be for you. So this is another solid YA pick. And a lot of people who don't often read YA, but don't categorically say like, nope, not for me, moving on, which is, you know, which is fine if you've learned that's Mm -hmm. not to your taste. Um, But people who are willing to read a little YA um, have often really enjoyed that one. And this one strongly reminds me of The Sea of Tranquility. Mm -hmm. It also has that like running all over town feel of urgency that Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore had. But the two books are really different in tone. Like Mr. Number is kind of like brooding and mysterious. And Nicola Yoon, this is very, very teenager. Although I think I think she does a good job with it. So this is kind of the inverse of the Sea of Tranquility. In that one, you have this slow, not quite predictable building of what becomes a really important relationship. And there's a lot of what's gonna happen next, where is this gonna go? In Nicola Yoon, like 97% of the story happens in one compressed 12-hour period. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're very similar and yet totally different. So we have a boy and a girl, which like, is that a YA opening or what? Yes. It sounds like a perfect setup for a YA. So boy and a girl, they meet in a record store because, of course... And when they meet Natasha's family who came to New York City, where all the action is from Jamaica years back, is on the verge of being deported. And I mean like the very, very verge, like she is attempting a Hail Mary 
last ditch attempt, file something with a new immigration lawyer that afternoon to stop their deportation from happening within like hours. And Daniel is the son of Korean immigrants who's supposed to like do the family proud and go to an Ivy and go to medical school. And it's not what he wants, but he has his big interview that afternoon. So it's really important to him. So these are two kids facing like all the stakes and all the feelings. And I feel like it's not really a spoiler because we are, can we say YA like often enough in this episode? Yes. So they meet, they fall desperately in love, like not immediately. It takes like two whole hours. And I don't, <laughs> I don't really want to say any more than that. But if you like the Sea of Tranquility, I think this is a good bet. I love it. That's, I definitely piques my interest for sure. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. Okay. And book three. Oh, this is where I'm sad. We only have three gaps. Okay. I said the title, right? No, I don't think you did. You've okay. been building it up. I'm, I'm at the edge of my seat. What a letdown. Okay. <laughs> so book three is Far, Far Away by Tom McNeil. And this was first recommended to me on the What Should Anne Read Next episode of What Should I Read Next, which I believe is actually called Your TBR Will Never Be the Same, which was totally true for me. And what the listener told me was... Don't read the description. It sounds totally weird. Something about fairy tales. And I looked at the description. I'm like, yep, that's totally weird. But then a friend of mine read it. And this was actually Kendra at The Lazy Genius who was on the podcast way back at the beginning. And she sent me a message that said, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've read in months. And the combination intrigued me. So I like this for you because it's well-written. It's genre-bending. It's totally creative. You read it and you think, how on earth did the author come up with this idea? It's been described as a YA book, but I think it's more like a contemporary fairy tale. And those aren't necessarily for children. I'm sure C.S. Lewis has a great quote about that. Yeah. So Tom McNeil really mashes up the genres here. If you've ever seen or know about the show Once Upon a Time, it totally reminded me of that. And it also really reminded me of A.S. Byatt, not Possession, but she has a, um, a quartet, I think starting with The Virgin in the Garden, where she follows a, a, a woman through all four books who lives her life and builds a career and um, television is involved. And the way television plays a role in this plot made me think so much of Byatt. And was just really creative, really interesting. It is not supposed to be remotely believable. You are reading, actually what you're reading is like a fairy tale about a fairy tale. Oh, cool. And I love I, it. I think if you took a chance on it and only took a chance on it because it seems highly unlikely you've heard of it or that you're going to see it at your local bookstore propped up prominently. Um, well, how about your large big city bookstore since you don't have one in your town yet? Or at least not right. for, not, um, not, not an another. independent bookstore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. just, just start your regulars. Like exactly. Barnes and Noble. Um, I think you would find that it hits a lot of your readerly taste. What do you think? Nice. Oh, it, I love it. I mean, just you saying like, it's amazing. And I can't tell you a lot about it and don't read the description that, that enough, like that will just, um, gets me hooked already. I do like going so, yeah. into a book like that myself too. Okay. But I want to give you a bonus pick. It's called, this is where you belong. The art and science of loving the place you live. It's straight nonfiction. It came out, um, last summer, last June, I think. And the reason I like it for you is 
she talks about what it means to be happy in your community and really love your town. And I hear a lot of the themes she talks about in her book coming through in the way you're talking about opening a bookstore in Waco. I think when she started writing this book, she was in Austin. So that's a town you'll be very familiar with. And Mm -hmm. I I have never lived in any of the places she talks about. um, And I really enjoyed the book. But I can imagine if you did have roots in the places she does talk about, it would be really fun to get that extra little like, oh, I've been there. or Oh, I totally know what she's talking about because you would get to experience that. And something that she focuses on a lot is actively participating in the community by showing up to local events and volunteering and supporting local business and what that looks like and how you can help as a business owner, but also as a community member and how obviously that's good for the businesses. We've touched on the shop local movement briefly, like obviously that's good for the businesses, but it's also good for the community and it's really good for individuals because it's by showing up and participating actively instead of, I don't know, sitting at home and watching TV, um, that you do feel a sense of ownership in the place you live in a way you don't when you don't take those steps. And a lot of people do this completely intuitively, but I thought this book was really, had this really interesting way of explicitly drawing attention to the kind of things that do contribute to people loving the place they live. Yeah. I have seen that book. I think, um, somewhere and was like, Oh, we need to add that to our pile for sure. I'm excited. I'm glad to get a recommendation to read it too. Yeah. 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 And, um, Waco seems to have a really strong sense of community identity. I can see people who do have a strong sense of community identity, really enjoying reading a book like that and being like, yes, we're doing it right. Okay. Allison of those picks, what do you think you'll read next? I honestly was like, I had that question in the back of my head when you were telling me and I kept thinking like, oh no, what what am I going to pick? Since I just finished The Woman at Cabin 10, I think I might pick up The Sun is Also a Star. Um, I think that already wanting to read it and then you recommending, I think is a good push that I'm going to need to purchase this one, I think. That sounds like Um, a good contrast as well. Yeah. I like, and I like to do that because sometimes if you read the same genre over and over, it's almost like you get in a rut. And so I think it's kind of good to come out of um, one from one genre to the other. So yeah, I think I'm going to pick that one up. I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Allison today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Allison and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 77, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Connect with Allison online through her shop. That's readerlyshop.com and on Instagram at readerlyshop. You can also follow along on her journey to open her independent bookstore. I have so enjoyed getting those updates. Sign up for yourself at fabledbookshop.com and follow the shop on Instagram at fabledbookshop. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes, What Should I Read Next news, make sure you're getting our newsletter. Our annual summer reading guide is about to drop and subscribers will get that first. So you want to be on the list. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Next week, we have another special episode coming your way. 
We're chatting with author Kathleen Grissom of the best-selling books, The Kitchen House and Glory Over Everything. And our conversation was nothing at all like I expected it to be, but so, so wonderful. She is amazing and you are not going to want to miss it. So go right now and make sure you're subscribed to this show in your favorite podcasting app or visit whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and hit subscribe there. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.